Messiah just just yesterday. So strange. Wow. <laughs> yeah, almost like it was yesterday. Almost. No, we we wouldn't run such a, you know, ramshack operation. Not a short box summary. Absolutely not. We plan this thing out months in advance. We're that good. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> We're talking about the other. And before we jump into the book, we covered the first half on last week's episode. Please listen to that if you have not. Also, please uh, like, share, subscribe, retweet. Just do everything you can to to share the show. Helps us grow. And the bigger we are, uh, the more cool people like Carlos we can get the attention of and get on the show. So please do what you can. That'd be most appreciated. Before we get into the second half of the other, the last six issues of the story, I want to talk about everything else that was going on. Um, particularly uh, when part seven, the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, the one we're about to cover, um, when that came out. So I've got box office numbers for you from December 24th, I think, 23rd, 2005, like the weekend before uh, this issue came out. You ready to hear what was in theaters back then, Carlos? Yes, let's see. Let's also, see if I know. Just for uh, reminder's sake, how old were you? in december 2005 i might have been six i think okay mm -hmm. all right i was december 2005 i was 15 i was three months into my sophomore year of high school and i think i had i i had my first girlfriend at this point she was very sweet she gave me a copy of a tv show on dvd inside of a tin lunchbox of ultimate spider-man because she had come over to my house and she asked why i liked video games so much i handed her my xbox controller and showed her spider-man 2 on xbox and she she knew i was a, a big spider-man fan nice yeah good stuff all right number one at the box office taking in a cool 17 million was the chronicles of narnia the lion the witch and the wardrobe i'll be honest i've never seen this movie is it any good what I yeah I saw this movie. Uh, it is good. I think they're good. I mean I haven't seen them in a while, but um, but I, as a kid I liked them. I thought they were cool. Yeah. Okay. It came out after the Lord of the Rings, and it just felt like Diet Lord of the Rings to me. And I was like, Nah, I, I've I've seen too many orcs. I've seen too many Balrogs. I've seen too many Nazgul. I can't go back. Have you ever seen? Because um, there were a few fantasy movies around that time. Maybe because of Lord of the Rings, like maybe they were like trying to catch the wave. Uh, but I remember also when I was a kid, there was uh, Spiderwick Chronicles. And did you ever watch Bridge to Terabithia? That was kind of fantasy, but also just extremely sad. I didn't, but all these books, you're jogging so many memories. Back when comic books had advertisements in them, all these movies plastered everywhere in comic books. They'd get full page spreads, they'd be on the back cover. So I'm I'm familiar like with this this I think this was peak like Kyle XY era which was like a popular TV show about a kid who gets cloned I just remember there's like a picture of him like lifting his shirt to reveal his his abdomen but there's no belly button that's because he wasn't born in a traditional uh, like uterus so he didn't have an umbilical cord oh okay and so cool. that image is just burned into my brain because it was in so many comics and also Bridge of Terabithia and Spiderwick and uh, Percy Jackson, all that stuff. Like I, I know it through comics, but I don't know it directly. Hmm. Number two, the box office movie I do know, King Kong, the Peter Jackson remake. 
Oh my god. Okay, so literally when you were talking about 2005, I was like, I wonder when King Kong came out because I have a vivid memory of being a kid and going to see King Kong with my mom and just being like scared and bored and just not being a fan. I mean, I was a child, but like I recognize it's a popular one, but <laughs> But, what's wow. what's cool is that story about being a kid and being scared like people from the 1930s were saying that when the first king kong came out so it's kind of amazing that like you know 70 years apart same mm -hmm. same shit different day that's awesome wow uh let's see number three cheaper by the dozen two that's a steve martin comedy i think tom welling who played superman on smallville was in that too Number yeah. f number four, Fun with Dick and Jane, which was a really weird Jim Carrey comedy movie that was like, this was around the time of like the Enron and like Bernie Madoff, like financial Ponzi schemes that were exposed. Mm -hmm. And so this was a story about two like white collar people who got laid off and then turned to a life of crime to get what they felt like they were owed. So kind of a weird turn for Jim Carrey in a post Ace Ventura world. But actually all these movies are kind of weird. Uh, I'm going to explain some of these movies to you and you let me know how they sound. Next movie, Rumor Has It. This is a Jennifer Aniston kind of romantic comedy starring Kevin Costner. Hmm. And are, do you know a movie called The Graduate? I know you work in film. Oh, yeah, I know The Graduate, yeah. All right, so this movie is like a really high concept rom-com where it turns out this Jennifer Aniston's like this woman, her family was like the basis for the movie The Graduate. And she oh. finds this out and it's like her trying to connect all the dots to figure out like who was who to become the basis of the movie that sounds kind of fun <laughs> yeah and it's still it's probably i don't want to say peak kevin costner because i think kevin costner peaked as like ultimate babe status probably in like the early 90s but mm -hmm. still pretty fucking good looking kevin costner uh my girlfriend's been on a couple episodes of the show huge kevin costner fan shout out Aaliyah. shout out k cost um number six memory uh sorry yeah memories of a geisha you sorry, know i me think memoirs of a geisha memoirs of a geisha that sounds familiar like i might have heard of it a uh, beautiful period piece uh it's really good i recommend it hmm. number seven the family stone a uh, really good christmas movie but incredibly fucking awkward about like a couple that goes back to their family's home for christmas and like he breaks up with her but falls in love with her sister and it's just it's just a weird ass movie hmm. number eight harry potter and the goblet of fire i love all the harry potter movies yeah i know for sure yeah which one's your favorite? You know, when I was younger, I might have said Goblet of Fire. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban is up there, too. But honestly, I feel like the first one is kind of underrated. I like there's just like a sense of wonder to it that I really like. Um, mm -hmm. I like the fifth one, too. I like, again, you, like, I like all, you like all of them. <laughs> yeah, I like all of them pretty much. <laughs> uh, J.K. Rowling is a piece of shit. I don't know how else I can say this. Uh, trans rights or human rights, just treat people uh, like like people. It's really not that fucking hard. Um, I will say Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is great because they turned the Wizarding World into a sports movie. I love, like, who doesn't love a good tournament arc, right? People do love tournament arcs, that's for yeah. sure. Good shit. Number nine is a movie called The Ringer. This stars Johnny Knoxville, who pretends to be mentally disabled so he can ex succeed at a Special Olympics. And I think there's like a gambling scene involved. Weird movie, super confusing. I haven't seen it since it came out. I think it's actually oddly positive by the end. The first two thirds of that movie, not very positive at all. But uh, I, th I think the right lessons are learned by the end. Again, I haven't seen this movie in 18 years. 
Uh, when I hear the ringer, I just think of uh, I think the, this like book. I read. Yeah. Oh, oh no! Uh, there was like this book I read in school about this kid that like wrung crows' necks or something. Okay, kind of dark, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sounds it. Uh, the ringer, really good pop culture website. Um, love their podcast. Uh, check out the ringer, not the ringer or the ringer, but just please check out the ringer dot com. Mm. Uh, number 10, Munich. Have you seen this? The Steven Spielberg action thriller movie? Oh, no, I don't think I have. Um, te- temperatures may, may vary uh, on, on how you feel about this movie. I think it's just kind of rad. It's just Eric Bana kicking ass for an hour and a half, two hours. It's pretty fun. Also, it's weird seeing Steven Spielberg do like a big action movie like this. Uh, and that... Uh, raked in four million dollars over the weekend so that's the 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 spread <clears throat> number one chronicles of narnia was 17 million over the weekend munich uh coming in number 10 with four carlos are you ready to hear the five top songs on the billboard hot 100 uh yeah i hope i know some of them let's see okay number one is run it by chris brown Number two is Laffy Taffy by D4L. Number three is Gold Digger by Kanye featuring Jamie Foxx. Number four is Photograph by Nickelback. And number five is Soul Survivor by Young Jeezy featuring Akon. Carlos, do you know any of those songs? Are, are they registering as bops to you? Well, I, I definitely know Gold Digger. Uh, but uh, the others, I don't know. Like, I maybe I know Photograph and Soul Survivor. Like, that sounds familiar, but I couldn't sing them or anything if you asked me to. Nickelback <laughs> blew up in the year 2000 when there was, like, kind of a more produced grunge sound happening. Like, everyone took the... The, the grunge dirtiness of the 90s and then just kind of like produced it a little bit better and so Nickelback blew up with his first song called How You Remind Me mm-hmm. and then they were actually on the Spider-Man soundtrack the lead singer Chad Kroger and Josie Scott lead singer of this band called Saliva they did that song Hero and then Photograph was like their next big hit but it just didn't have any of the the oomph I'm gonna say that How You Remind Me does I don't think Nickelback is a particularly good band I think they're the number two selling digital artist for the 2000s after only the Beatles and that's because iTunes got the rights to like the the album one which is all the Beatles number ones in like 2009 I think but for that decade they were the number one selling digital artist so they were a big deal and now they've kind of become a meme I think you've seen like just a, a white guy with long blonde hair holding up a a bar graphs and it just says look at this graph and it's it's a it's making fun of this song huh 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was about to bring up their hero song from the Raymond movies. Uh, yeah. And and I do know this is how you remind me. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Interesting. I know shit about the songs from the year I was born. I've like really tried to go back and like check it out, but I'm I'm bad about early 90s. I'm fucking awesome at late 90s because that's when I actually got to like I got like a radio in my room and I just started listening to all the time. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I was very much I was still watching MTV, I was still watching TRL when I could. There was this music channel called Fuse at this point, mm-hmm. which I think was a Canadian-based music video channel and i was like oh it's like mtv except they actually show music videos ha 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 and then like within three years they were just doing like cops reruns and ultimate ninja warrior and shit like that so they got mtv as well so that was what was happening around the pop culture world you ready to jump into the other (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm ready (laughs) okay cool so i like looking back to listen like "Ah, it's kind of a kind of duds i don't know what else to say about it uh i was hoping for like a bigger song at uh at number one than run it by chris brown not a big fan of that man as a as a person that's very fair that's very very fair yeah Mm -hmm. all right we are going to start things off with friendly neighborhood spider-man number three this came out december 7th 2005 written by j michael straczynski art by mike waringo inks by carl kessel and colors by paul mounts Morland stands over Peter's broken, defeated body and prepares to feed when he's suddenly distracted by approaching NYPD officers. He dispatched the first two with ease, but realizes he can't feed and feast at the same time, so he decides to claim his prize later. Peter is all kinds of messed up. The EMTs remove his tattered mask, and his face is so swollen from Morland's punches that he barely registers like a person. He looks more like a bowl of mashed potatoes. He crashes in the ambulance ride his heart stops things aren't going well at the hospital he is diagnosed with multiple uh, broken ribs a collapsed lung an irregular pulse arterial tear at the upper vena cava a concussion and heavy intracranial bleeding peter's cooked he's done the avengers come to the hospital hoping to move the body but they're shot down by hospital staff jessica drew aka spider woman uses her super strength to kick down a locked door giving mj a chance to say goodbye to her husband when she arrives to his hospital bed she sees moreland ready to make his move she does what she can she grabs a scalpel she fights she claws but she's no match for the spider inclined vampire i'll always be there for you mj even if i'm standing on the edge of hell itself i know you need me i'll come for you I swear it. That's what Peter's narration is saying. When suddenly the font for the narration changes and says the man is dead, but the spider remains. Suddenly, a completely feral and spider-eyes Peter lunges at Moreland and savagely, I mean savagely, attacks the dude. He grows spikes in his arms and stabs him like they're steaks, and then he begins eating his fucking head. You know, like a spider would. Defeated, Moreland turns to dust. MJ embraces Peter, who has just enough strength to say goodbye and live a good life. The Avengers come and take Peter's body so his identity can remain anonymous. Whew! Whew! Yup. This is the beginning of Act 2. Right? No, this is the beginning of Act 3. I misspoke, sorry. We covered the first two acts in the last episode. You should listen to it, it's really fun. But this is the beginning of Act 3. How are we feeling, Carlos? Well, I'm feeling a little queasy 
because I don't do good with gore and like very specific injuries. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think when we were talking about the first uh, half, um, we uh, we were we were saying like, oh, like Ringo's issues are a little lighter. And (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we did Ringo justice because this is I think this is like the darkest. Sure is. Yeah. (laughs) tough to get through issue because like the some of the stuff here is so gruesome i mean peter's face disgusting you know oh it's it's it's, seriously it's like a bucket full of baseballs like it's just so like rounded and contorted and it just it looks horrible like it is disgusting to look at and like when i think of ringo i think of like oh it's fantastic four book where anything's possible there are imagineers you know woof yeah and i think the worst part for me was the mj's like arm breaking part like where Moreland like breaks her arm it looks like oh mm-hmm. man that part is just nasty to me oh, i don't like seeing that because then my brain is like bone breaking and i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> um so that was one of my biggest takeaways from this issue <laughs> <laughs> you're you're the spider expert this issue and i feel like the following issues really reintroduce the idea of like body horror to peter Mm -hmm. right and we've seen that before like there's the the famous book where he grows like a six extra legs so like with or sorry six extra arms so his arms and his legs he's got eight he's a fucking spider get it um and and there's also like that issue was pretty famously adapted to like the animated series from the 90s i remember that one like haunting me as a kid have there been other examples in in recent Spider-Man uh, of, of this body horror element? Oh yeah, I mean, and even before this, um, because actually, well, I kind of was gonna save this for later. <laughs> oh, oh, we we totally can, we totally can. I don't mean to rush you because they they go into it more later yeah. in the later in the series. So let's save it. But 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 um, just talking about like gore and body horror um, uh, during the slot run. Um, uh, which I've already shouted out a few times. I'm sorry. I just I'm a big <laughs> Yeah, no, it's good stuff. Um, but during that stuff, we do get some gore and some brutal deaths and stuff. It just doesn't register as traumatically because it's also like a very fun like run. Mm-hmm. Um, but in um in Spider Island, we get some of that body horror stuff because in that that story, a bunch of people turn into like these giant spiders and like their faces transform and they grow fangs and stuff. So there, there have been quite a few stories that are, you know, similarly uh, dark and and go into body horror elements like that, for sure. Um, but here, it's just like especially like <laughs> grotesque. I feel I don't know. <laughs> well, especially because this doesn't even seem like Peter at this point, right? This seems like a like a violation of his body by some sort of external power. And boy, is it we're about to jump into that. But like, I think that also adds to like the distress of the moment where you just feel like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but that is not Peter. And that just makes the moment so much more horrifying. Yeah. And then I was, uh, I just remembered that there's this uh, Savage Spider-Man miniseries. That was, yeah, that was pretty, that also had Peter go kind of monster mode. Um, And and Spider-Verse itself, um, like the Spider-Verse story by Slot from like 2014, the first one, um, that one, uh, you know, features the other. uh, And um, it also features a lot of death. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to bring that up uh, when we get to, I believe, the penultimate issue. Cool. But uh, I will. I'll bring it up again when we get there. 
Uh, you you ready to jump? Uh, sorry, jump into part eight. Yes, I think so. Yeah. All right. MJ confirms to. Oh, sorry. Uh, this happened in Marvel Knights Spider Man issue twenty one. Came out December fourteenth, two thousand five. Written by J. Michael Straczynski, drawn by Pat Lee, with colors by Dream Engine and letters by Corey Petit. MJ confirms to May that Peter is in fact gone. Shaken with grief, she can't stop crying or vomiting at the thought of living without her husband, but she puts on a brave face for the others, especially May. Before long, Tony pulls MJ aside for an uncomfortable conversation about how to handle Peter's death publicly and discreetly. They can't let it be known that Peter and Spider are the same person that would put MJ and May in danger. So Tony brainstorms a series of situations and solutions that could be done to Peter's remains to explain why he's so messed up without revealing that he was the web crawling mask menace distraught at the terrible things tony is suggesting mj excuses herself and runs to the bathroom to be alone once out wolverine has the audacity to ask her out on a date she slaps the shit out of him and promises if he does that again she'll find a way to kill him and storms off taken aback jarvis asks how wolverine could have thought that was a good idea and he says she's in pain she needs something to strike out at, something to help her move from grief to rage, because rage keeps you moving. All grief does is make you want to die right alongside the person you lost. Rage gives you a reason to live. She needed something, someone to hit, so I gave it to her. It seemed like the least I could do. And if she hates me, well, it's not like she's going to be hanging around anymore now that he's gone. Let her stay up nights trying to figure out how to hurt me. It'll give her something to live for. Maybe that's cruel, but it always worked for me. MJ makes her decision. Peter was a hero and she wants him to re be remembered that way. She comes up with a story about them walking and getting jumped. He told her to run for help and by the time she gets back, he was gone. Tony says he'll make the arrangements and MJ joins Cap, who's consoling May. Later that night, Jessica Drew, aka Spider-Woman, finds a grieving MJ and confesses when Peter was lost, she felt something and wonders if their powers were more connected than they previously realized. Suddenly, alarms blare and everyone rushes to Peter's room. Sorry, Peter's room being the, the morgue. All that's left is an empty husk, a shell of the skin that once was Peter. The Avengers promise to find who's responsible and make them pay, but the way the glass is broken, something didn't break in. Something broke out. Across town, kids on a field trip collect insects and sea creatures at the beach while their teacher gives a lesson on, you guessed it, spiders, and specifically how they molt. Dark, viscous liquid drop, uh, drips onto a child who's alone under a bridge. Terrified, he runs away. We see a large cocoon gestating, hidden away. Woo! 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 I'm going to do that after every issue, I think. This story is actually better than I remember. I don't think it's, like, great, and I'm a little disappointed by some of the, the dangling threads at the end. We're going to get to those. But uh, this story is, in fact, better than I remember. Nice. I'm, I'm happy to hear that, you know, because uh, I think that's a really good feeling when you revisit something you thought you didn't like uh, or you didn't like when you were younger and then you come back to it and you're like, actually, you know, this is cool. Yeah, like, not that bad. Yeah. Um, this issue does, however, contain a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> oh, please. Yeah, hit, hit it. Hit it. Um, I don't like being negative, you know, uh, but I do have a, a little pet peeve that I think I developed like uh, after reading like a lot of old Fantastic Four comics. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like whenever Reed is like a total jerk to his family and then they go away and to himself, he thinks I had to do that to protect them. It's like, no, dude, you could have just told him. <laughs> And I feel like that Wolverine moment kind of was like 
the formula of that pet peeve of mine, but I think it works better with Wolverine because Wolverine is supposed to be a jerk, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, but I, I just, I remember reading it. I was like, ah, he's pulling a reed. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially because like earlier in this series, not this, the other story, but earlier in Marvel Knights, like there's like a, a cover, a very suggestive cover of like, Wolverine and MJ like looking at each other longingly like Peter in the middle like reaching out trying to be like no don't fall in love and so like he's definitely been like flirtatious before and so this is definitely picking up on that thread and I think Reginald Hudlin was writing the stories then because yeah this is after Mark Millar and, and the Dodsons ended I think they ended at like issue 12 then Hudlin took over and uh, did like the wild blue yonder story and uh now the other and so like this is definitely like picking up a thread that's existed in this book particular before like i don't think never hinted at in like the new avengers or anything but like it it does exist in this book it um it, it also exists in amazing like uh there's that scene where peter throws wolverine out the window uh, oh <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's another reason why it's like it might be a usually a pet peeve of mine but i guess it was okay here yeah they do address it later on and i'm excited to get to that point because uh i think after this act the books you know we'll talk about it when we get there we'll talk about it when we get there yeah yeah, yeah. um anything else about this issue jump out to you besides your your pet peeve which is completely valid and correct um i guess this the tony's conversation was so dark and so bleak I don't, I don't know that that's not really a, a thought or a takeaway but man like that was <laughs> that was messed up kind of and like it was so soon too like too soon tony don't you think like <laughs> did uh did you ever see a movie called fight club yeah 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 i've seen fight club it's been a while but okay there's there's one scene where edward norton's on the plane explaining his job to someone he's sitting next to and like how he works for like a insurance company and so he's talking about like car recalls and basically, like, if the cost of a recall for a part or the car itself is more expensive than it would be to just, like, settle lawsuits, like, they won't do anything. But, like, if the lawsuits would be more expensive than recalling the part, like, that's when they recall it. And it kind of just felt like that energy where it was him just being like, hey, I know you just went through a lot, but uh, let's get down to brass tacks. And so it... I, I think it's Tony trying to be sweet in his own way, but just fucking completely failing to read the room at all, which is weird because he's normally so charming and so good at talking to people. <laughs> also, like the things he suggests are so brutal. <laughs> like I was like, man, <laughs> like, oh, that was, yeah, that was a dark moment for sure. Uh, something, something really interesting happens. So like the way I do this process is like, I'll read the book. I used to like read through the book and take notes as I was reading it. And then I realized I was just taking so many notes because I haven't read these books in so long. I have no idea what's important. So now I'll like read the issue and then read the issue a second time. And then I'll take notes about just like, okay, like what's the most important? Like, how do I tell the story from A to B to C to D, whatever. Uh, and in this this time when I was like doing that uh, with Mary Jane, when she like leaves Tony because she's like so overwhelmed at everything he's suggesting. He's like, well, we could say it was a boating accident and his body was caught up in the rotor. Like, he's like saying horrendous shit. He's like, well, we could burn parts of his body so that we could cover up like the beating to explain like why he's dead but not give away that he was in a, you know, knockdown drag out fight with some super. Uh, she like leaves. And I was like writing down in my notes. I was like, she escapes to the bathroom so she can puke some more. I'm like, no, she's going through a lot, George. Like, give her her dignity. And I like very specifically went back and wrote like, she 
goes to the bathroom so she can be alone. So I was like trying to protect her as I was like writing these notes. And I completely just fucking outed her and myself right now just by saying that. And uh, I, I feel bad. But I do think it was interesting that like this was this was when I started to feel like really empathetic towards Mary Jane in particular. Do you think this, I think the second half does a much better job of characterizing her than the first half. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I think that stuff like that, that's like, you know, that's everybody's different, like, uh, interpretations of the character and stuff. Um, but, um, but in terms of empathizing with her, I mean, it's hard not to, she's really going through it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But it's weird. I like don't feel that bad for Aunt May. And I know Aunt May kind of gets like thrown on the back burner in this uh, story in particular. But like I'm I'm not as sad for her as I am for Mary Jane. I mean, she like barely gets any attention, May. But... That's what I was going to say. I feel like we do get to spend more time with MJ. So that might be part of that. And MJ gets like the bigger reactions and stuff. So plus aunt may's a pro she's been through losing loved ones that's <laughs> true yeah uh this issue has one of my pet peeves too oh really wow we're really negative on this one <laughs> uh not just in comics in like all media but like when the teacher gives the exact perfect lesson for the moment oh the very convenient spider lesson oh uh, yeah so it's like uh i love this movie called never back down so much it's like if karate kid and the oc had a baby it's a piece of shit movie, but it's like one of my comfort movies. And it's about this kid who basically uh, becomes like an MMA fighter or whatever. Mm. But there's like a teacher giving a lesson about like pride in the beginning of the movie. It's like, come on, man. Like, do you have to hit the nail so directly on the head? And same thing with this teacher here. It's like, it's pretty convenient that you were talking about how some spiders once in their life will shed their skin. It's like, oh, wow, that's fucking fascinating. I wonder what that has to do with anything. Oh, wait, we're reading a book called Amazing Spider-Man. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Bes right. Besides that great issue. <laughs> <laughs> and the Wolverine dick thing. Yeah, that, that, that too. <laughs> you ready to get weird? Yes, I, I really am. Okay. Um, one of my favorite issues of the of the series, I think, of the story, Amazing Spider-Man five twenty seven. This came out December twenty eighth, two thousand five. This was the the story. Uh, all the references were made to earlier when we were talking about box office. This was written by J. Michael Straczynski, art by Mike Deodato Jr., and uh, I think Ikes by Joe Pimentel. Iron Man desperately sweeps the streets of Manhattan looking for any sign of Peter. MJ clings to the thought that he's out there somewhere, and he is. Suspended in some sort of amniotic fluid, Peter begins having a vision quest where he's confronted by all the people he's ever loved that he feels he's lost because of the spider bite. Gwen Stacy, Uncle Ben, Harry Osborne, to name a few. And we sort of get a retcon look at how young Peter... <laughs> became spider-man except there's a giant metaphorical spider that he's talking to like an imaginary friend who might not be all that metaphorical or imaginary he's later confronted by a figure that looks like his costume self but way more feral and animalistic like the version of peter who took down Morlin, but in his red and blues instead of a hospital gown peter then gets the skinny from this house-sized monstrosity spider 
Once in its life, a spider may shed its skin, shed its past, and begin anew. Every wound healed, every injury repaired, every muscle renewed. A lifetime of pain cleansed. This is the second gift of the spider. But this time, the spider must not be denied. We, the voice of evolution, the weavers of the web of time, the voice of history speaking through you, must not be suppressed again. Accept us. Accept who we are. Accept who you are. The man who dreamed of being a spider and the spider who dreamed of being a man. Find within us the gifts you did not know you possessed, the strengths you were afraid to call your own. Be the man you are. But now, at last, embrace the other. Peter submits and is reborn out of the cocoon we saw last issue. He crawls in naked into the ocean like a sad little lobster boy. It's been five days since Peter molted, and as the Avengers prepare to go forward with their plan to falsify his death, a knock on the door reveals a clothed and living Peter, quickly embraced by his friends and family. Family dinner follows where Tony admits that all of his spider gear has been disposed of except one outfit, but he's working on something he thinks Peter might like. Later that ooh, what's that gonna be? <laughs> Later that night, Peter recalls the final words the spider spirit spoke as he was being reborn. Quote, so the question is, are you you or are you me? Are you the man who dreamed of being a spider or the spider who dreamed of being a man? Are you the one or are you the other? Peter finds his old husk and takes the wedding band off and places it on his finger. Woo, that was weird. Yes, um, but you know what? I think this one is up there as one of my faves of the arc. Um, I think last time we talked, I said that the first issue was my favorite. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think this one is up there too um, because of the, the whole vision quest thing. Like, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just unique and interesting. And also I think the dialogue here is really cool. Yeah. Um, on the on the last one on our last chat yesterday <laughs> yes sir uh, yesterday week yeah <laughs> it's hard to remember it was so long ago um <laughs> but uh i remember i almost like went on a tangent about the immortal hulk and how it reminded me of jms era spider-man but here like seriously where it's like is he the man or is he the other i mean i feel like you could follow that up with like or is he both which is a lot <laughs> immortal hulk that i remembered a lot and um and and yeah i just I, again i think the dialogue for me was like the strongest part of the issue like i i really noted a lot of the lines i like the one where you know you flash back to peter in his room designing his costume but it's like a distorted memory looks it feels more like a nightmare because obviously that spider wasn't really there or mm -hmm. or was it or uh, was yeah. it yeah um but um but I, I think on that page is where it was saying, like, you, you know, we take that which is inside and we move it outside because then it is safe. And I thought that was an interesting concept. Um, and I also like the line where, like, later on, he's like, you could take it off, but now the spider has taken you off. <laughs> I, was right. like, I was like, that's kind of a bar. Like, that's kind of fire. <laughs> that's weird. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um um but uh but uh but yeah i mean i feel like this uh touches on i mean you brought up the the story um where he grows uh, those extra four arms that's uh, a classic that's amazing spider-man 100 and uh even on that one if i remember correctly like the tagline for that issue like man or spider or something like that and even back then like writers were touching on is he more man is he more spider 
And obviously, I think everybody, when it comes to Spider-Man, always comes to the conclusion that, like, the man part is the more important part, like, the compassion, the kindness, like, the mm-hmm. intelligence, like, the stuff that makes Peter Peter is the man stuff, right? Um, and, and I feel like this is, like, a, a new kind of, well, new at the time, like, new kind of, like, interpretation of it, like, going more mystical and going literally, like, he is becoming a spider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um uh so yeah you know i thought it was an interesting issue uh art is cool i do like the giant spider um uh, art wise and i'm i feel like wow i've i've been kind of rambling on this one but uh but yeah i just you know i thought it was interesting that was cool cool this story like this i i thought i agree i think this issue is really cool uh not quite a pet peeve i don't want you to think i'm being too negative on this but but stick with me for just a second yeah i feel like a lot of writers do this and i write so like i don't want to i don't want to act like i don't do this you know uh but a lot of writers will like remember something and then take that and apply it to whatever they're working on right and so uh in like 300 bc there was this chinese philosopher Mm -hmm. this guy named zhang ji who uh this is like a thought exercise he did where he he tells a story about like, you know, being out on the grassy hills and uh, he lay down to take a nap and he dreamt that he was a butterfly. Hmm. And then he woke up, but he couldn't prove that he wasn't the butterfly dreaming he was a man. Oh, cool. And so I think that is the basis. And also this is like a pretty famous line from The Fly also, like that Jeff Goldblum movie um, directed by David Cronenberg. Another huge like, one of the most prominent examples of body horror, I think, in modern culture, mm-hmm. uh, where he talks about, like, uh, was I just an insect dreaming I was a man, or was I a man who became an insect, whatever. Um, yeah. So this kind of feels like a recycled idea, but I really like this issue. So again, I not quite a pet peeve, but it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, you remember, like, one thing from, like, a philosophy class that's, like, kind of common, and then it just becomes, like, the entire basis for, like, a big event. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad you bring up the fly though, because I actually I really like the fly. I love that. Movie. Oh yeah, no fly yeah. fucks pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, the first time I saw the fly and and when he was crawling on the wall, I was like, oh man, I love that. I feel like they should do a Spider-Man movie where the crawling is that creepy. <laughs> <laughs> um. Also, I just love like you know Franz Kafka metamorphosis and uh, yeah yeah. Um. And uh, while 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 you were talking, I re- I re- I remembered that um when I was I, I took a note of this that we we split it up into like halves and like sections of four mm-hmm. but if you were to divide the the storyline evenly into three and get that like three act structure um this issue would be like right at the beginning of act three which is you know interesting because this is very much I feel like the approach to the innermost cave you know like okay yeah yeah, and I feel like in the hero's journey, that kind of lines up with being like end of act two, you know. So I was like, interesting. It kind of lines up with you know hero's journey, like act structure right here, kind of interestingly. But that's kind of nerd storytelling talk. No, it is, but it's also confusing because like they call it act four, or so they call, they call this the end of act three and uh, going into act four. But I think that's just like a neat organizational trait they do because like they're dealing with they have three titles, they're putting out three copies a month. And so they're treating each month like its own distinct chapter. Uh, but I think narratively, you are correct. 
that fe- that feels more right than like i don't want to talk about shakespearean four act shit it's late it's late i don't want to do that that said though any any closing thoughts on this uh weird vision quest of an issue I think like the other stuff I was kind of holding back on, I'm going to keep holding back until I think the last issue. Okay. All right. Well, that takes us firmly into Act 4 again. Organizationally, not uh, not narratively. Act 4, this is Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man Issue 4. This is Part 10. Came out January 18th, 2006. Written by Peter David. Drawn by Mike Waringo. Inks by Carl Kessel and colors by Paul Mounts. Peter is once again undergoing extensive tests by familiar scientists Tony Stark, Hank Pym, a.k.a. Yellowjacket, and Reed Richards. Everything about Peter is healed. Everything. Scars, bullet wounds, even his tonsils grew back. He's in such a jokey, jovial mood, it finally feels like Peter Parker himself is back. Tony touches Peter on the shoulder, and Peter reacts without thinking, tripping Tony in the blink of an eye. Peter confesses his powers have never felt stronger or faster. Tony again mentions that he has a new suit designed for Peter that he wants to discuss, but before they get into details, Sunday Best's, sorry, Sunday's Best Aunt May shows up and breaks Peter out. He finally gets to spend some quality time with his wife. Uh, technicians who are working on Peter's previously shedded skin are descended upon by hundreds, maybe even thousands of spiders who web them to the walls and begin eating the former flesh of Peter. Flash Thompson, who I'm not sure if he's back from fighting in Iraq or back from the dead or what was going on with him at this point. I think they mentioned that he had just woken up from a coma. Don't remember what put him there. I assume issue 500, just because a lot happened in that issue, but who's to say? He is interviewing for a job at his old high school where Peter uh, also works as a teacher. Um, That's just planting seeds for future stories. Don't don't worry about that. Uh, Swinging around Manhattan with his wife uh peter and mj have a heart to heart as happy as mj is that peter's back she's sort of happy that he was gone too she felt like she was more than spider-man's wife to the rest of the avengers and she realized that if she could survive peter being gone she could survive anything they stop a mugging and afterwards peter's spider sense goes haywire they go back to avengers tower and the entire upper level is covered in spider webs from the outside peter tries to get the attention of other avengers but no dice He goes to the room where his old body was, and he intuitively knows the spiders who are there. They're called pirate spiders, who have sort of combined into one giant person-shaped Voltron corporeal spider humanoid. They fight, but Peter's match blow for blow until a thing escapes to fight another day. Um, I think Act 4 is actually the strongest of the book. This was the first issue that felt like it wasn't following an outline of beats to hit necessarily. Like this felt like, like the jokes I think were like actually funny in this issue. And I, I don't mean to be like patronizing to to older jokes in the story. I just meant they felt more like genuine and sincere than they did in previous stories. Uh, there's one scene where there's like Luke Cage and Jessica Drew, like they're, you know, Peter and and MJ run by them and they're like oh we're gonna go spend some time together and Luke Cage is like oh yeah what are you guys gonna do and MJ's like Peter said he's gonna give me a ride and then um Jessica Jones like or sorry Jessica Drew like turns to Luke is like you know thinking they're gonna go smash and she's like get your head out of the gutter he's like what 
he just came back from the dead. He said he's going to give her a ride. There's no reason not to think they're not going to go make. And then like it cuts to the next page where uh, Spider-Man and MJ are swinging through Manhattan. And it's just MJ saying whoopee, which is just like old white vernacular for sex. And so like I just the timing of that joke, I thought was Wait, like fucking what? perfect. Yeah, like uh, let's go make whoopee is like old man, old white man for having sex. Oh, I, that flew over my head. I, I thought she was just excited to be swinging. <laughs> oh, no. Like, I just thought that was, like, a perfectly fucking timed joke. <laughs> like, such a great page turn from uh, from Peter David and, and Ringo there. Well, now I appreciate that page. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's that. They even reference uh, the fly. Or not the fly. They reference uh, Kafka earlier in the book. They reference Metamorphosis. And uh, I think this issue, they also referenced no, sorry, that's the next issue. I'm going to save that. Um, what'd you think of this? Well, you know, I kind of feel bad because I didn't take too many notes on this one. But after hearing your um, like summary, I was like, oh, actually, this reminds me of a million things. And one of the things that you were talking about was Flash. And I feel bad for not like going back and look and 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 double checking what was going on with Flash at the time. I think this the the reference to him coming back, I think it was because this was after like... And this is just going off memory, but uh, like uh, in the Jenkins Spider-Man stuff, uh, I think Green Goblin like had put Flash in a coma. Um, okay. Uh, in a in a story I read when I was like nine years old. <laughs> 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 um, if I remember correctly, I think that's what he's referring to. Um, then uh, I agree that in this issue, Peter feels like his regular boyish self. Um, I really, I, I did like that. And um, I think maybe this is the most he's felt like himself in the whole storyline. Um, uh, to the point, the boyishness to the, is so boyish here to the point that Aunt May at one point is like, you, um, I'm picking you up so you can go play. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's really like mommying him here, but okay. <laughs> oh man, that was such a funny moment too, where MJ or sorry, uh, May was like, "Yeah, I understand you want to run your test, do your science shit, but I need to go to church so I can thank the person who actually brought him back." You know, and so like just the juxtaposition of like religion and faith with, you know, three of what the top five, top seven smartest people in the Marvel universe, right? Like besides them, it's like who? It's like it's like Doctor Doom and T'Challa, right? Like. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's some mutant I'm forgetting, but like Hank Pym and Tony Stark and Reed Richards are pretty heavy hitters. Like they're the smartest scientific minds on the planet and they can't explain why Peter came back. And so May has like no qualms of just being like, yeah, I know who brought him back. So I'm going to go thank him. Yeah. And there is a lot of, like I didn't note um, while reading just the whole storyline that there is a lot of faith talk like god is brought up obviously by tracer uh you know may brings up god um and i think one of the upcoming issues we see a church and i was going to ask you like we do, do you, yeah. i was going to be like do you recognize that cathedral that that church in that background i was going to ask if you knew but we're not there yet no no big <laughs> um i i also while this issue this was written by peter david i want to say like you know remember that you know peter david is going through a hard time he was in the hospital a lot recently um and i think they have a gofundme for him uh so i just thought it would be good to mention um and then oh i forgot uh this is what i did take a note of is that the um 
the spidery villain at the end um uh looks a lot like the gatekeeper from the books of ezekiel arc mm -hmm. but this one is like female and this character goes on to appear more in the upcoming issues of friendly neighborhood spider-man uh and she interacts with flash thompson and then on top of that we do see her again in scarlet spider from like 2013 2012 with kane parker when he becomes the other we see her for a second there too so uh just you know a little shout out to her uh the female gatekeeper version of the other i think um her name is like arrow or man my guy you're, you're stepping on the toes of uh of later in the podcast oh oh okay <laughs> sorry about that uh, no no all good all good um yeah they mentioned that and i think it's like obviously it's like good business sense right to like reference the story but i don't know like the way peter david wrote because like he he mentions the gatekeeper from from the books of ezekiel which was a story from like earlier in the jms run right like i think that was book two or three right like the third or fourth story that uh jms did uh, no uh books of ezekiel is after 500 um okay but um, but it's still earlier than this, so it's like during the Ramita. Okay, so it's like before sins remembered, like before that. Uh... Yeah, before sins pass. And okay. then I... Yeah. All right. Um. Okay. Like I, the way he mentioned it, it seems so casual. Like it, I can't explain this. Like I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just being like a romantic, but it didn't feel like an editorial mandate. It felt like a like a nod. You know, like it felt like him saying like I thought this was a cool story. So I'm going to give like a little wink about it. And like, I know that's not how this works, but I, again, I can't explain it, but just the way that scene is written felt incredibly casual and just like a, like a tip of the hat as opposed to like a order from corporate, if that makes sense. I did think it was funny that uh, Peter said that out loud. Like it wasn't a thought balloon or anything. He's just like looking at her and being like, this reminds me of the gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> But that's just me being annoying. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah, no, I think I think there's a lot of uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little less cynical, but I feel like yeah, it could have been just Peter David giving a shout out. I mean, you know, who knows though? I don't work in Marvel. Maybe maybe more of the references are editorial. <sighs> not yeah. not yet, man. You'll be running the Spider Department in the next ten years. I promise. <laughs> All right, you ready to bump into part eleven? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right. Uh, I'm lying. Before we do that, uh, there's a really cool page at the end of this comic. Uh, one of my favorite things that Marvel used to do, uh, they still kind of do it, but not as often, but they talk about the other books that are on sale at the same time as, as this issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this was January 2006. I'm just going to mention a couple books. On sale this month was Captain America 14. This is the Winter Soldier storyline. This is where Bucky remembers who he is. Also, this month is Iron Man 5. This is part of the Extremis arc. Also, this month is New Avengers 15. This is where the Avengers go public and announce their intentions to you know, safeguard the world. Also, this month is Pulse 13, where Jessica Jones finally gives birth to her and Luke Cage's child. Also, this month is Sentinel number three, which is a good like Marvel all ages book. And also this month is Spider-Woman Origin number two. And this is like the Bendis Luna Brothers 
miniseries where, and this issue in particular is where Jess is trained by Hydra. And I mentioned those stories because they are all previous episodes of short box summary that we've already covered. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> I was trying to see like, why is he choosing these? <laughs> also, also this month was uh, books of doom number three, which was an Ed Brubaker miniseries with in the man that book fucks. That's a really good book. <laughs> yeah, I was going to point that one out and be like, I love that series. And um, when I saw She-Hulk number four, I got excited because I thought it was the one dance thought She-Hulk one with Spider-Man in it. But I think that was like the previous volume. So mm -hmm. actually, uh, 86 that but <laughs> but the um uh, but hey wait maybe the thing number three is that the slot thing series so hey that is the slot thing series and that uh, man that one's such a bummer because it like ends at issue 10 but like it ends with like a poker game which is really fucking good i have uh i have i think issues like six or seven or eight one of those has spider-man in it and i have that issue in my you know collection and um also that Spider-Woman series I had to read for work once a few years ago. So I, I thought that was cool. Anyway. You had to read for work? Uh, it's because at one point I was like an intern at like, a, you know, comic book thingy and, and where we would like review comics and stuff like that. Uh, it's called Comics First. Shout out Comics First. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's why I read it. Yeah. So they were we wanted to do a, like some sort of article or, or podcast or some some kind of thing about Spider-Woman. And I think that was the first time I read that, if I remember correctly. Again, I, I feel like I have Stanley memory where I, I just forget everything. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you're gonna be back in comics. Like, you're, I, I swear to God, you're gonna run the Spider Department one day. I'm calling it now. That that would that would be cool. That's very nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, part eleven of the other Evolver Die. This took place in marvel knight spider-man issue 22 came out january 18th 2006 I believe the same day as uh the previous issue this is written by reginald hudlin drawn by pat lee with colors by dream engine letters by Corey petite and uh, act four is notable because act one the first four or sorry the first three issues um of this story were all written by the same writer right and um Act two, all written by the same writer. Act three, all written by by JMS. And so these books are where the writers like kind of get control of their books back and they're writing each of these individual issues. And uh, I think this part does the best job of highlighting why there's three different Spider-Man books because they're all totally very different. But they all hit on, I think, different aspects of what makes Peter a successful, relatable character. And so this issue, I was kind of down on Pat Lee's art in the last episode. Uh, I think this is easily the the best looking book Pat Lee has done in this entire story. I absolutely love this book. And Reginald Hudlin, I thought, was so economic with his words, made every single one of them count. Uh, I really like that. And so I'm ready to jump into it when you are, my guy. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm good. Let's do it. Peter chases the weird spider thing out the crack it made in the vibranium reinforced walls of Avengers Tower, and they fight through Manhattan. Peter tries to communicate, and slowly this entity thing gets more comfortable with speaking and says to Peter, Moreland returned for you. Was his time to feast, your time to die, and die you did. The Great Weaver said no, not your time, brought you back. But Great Weaver not alone. Another became angry. 
said there must be a cost. It escapes through a grate in the sidewalk below, and Peter returns to Avengers Tower, where Jarvis is so sick of his shit already because of all the spiderwebs throughout the penthouse. Because the Avengers don't know what's going on, they ground Spider-Man so they can figure out what's happening to him. Peter makes a house call to Doctor Strange, who's a little more helpful this time around. He tells him basically that these abstract powers brought him back for reasons unknown, but nothing is free and always brings a reaction. He says, basically, Peter, you're at the center of a web, a cosmic web that you can't feel physically, but that is very real nonetheless. Am I the spider or the meal? asks Peter. That's the art. Uh, sorry, that's the odd part, responds Strange. Depending on your perspective, well, you could be either or both. And under his breath, Peter goes, one or the other. Peter talks to Aunt May, who eases his somehow newfound survivor's guilt again, saying this isn't a curse, even though he's predisposed to see it that way. But that whatever waits for him, he'll be ready for it. Elsewhere in the city, the camera punches into a dank, hidden corner of a church where we see another cocoon like the one Peter was reborn from and a humanoid silhouette gestating inside. Carlos, what do we think of part 11 of the other? So I didn't take too many notes on this one, but this was the issue that I mentioned earlier where we see the cathedral or church at the end. Um, so I have to ask, do you recognize that one? Do you know what that one is? I was going to try to see if I could like, you know, compare to other churches in New York, <laughs> but I was like, hold on, that's a little, that's a lot of work. Maybe he'll know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't. And I got friends who have like, you know, grown up and never left the city. So I will hit them up after this episode and maybe add a note from future George and future Carlos. But mm -hmm. honestly, I know it's not St. Patrick's Cathedral. And like, that was just like really confusing to me because I feel like a lot of times you just go with like the most iconic thing. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's not based on any church, but like, honestly, all respect to Pat Lee, I feel like he uses a lot of references. So I'd be kind of shocked if it wasn't like a, a real church. Hmm. Yeah, because I think St. Patrick's Cathedral, I think that one's in No One Dies. And um, and also with all the faith talk throughout like this arc, I was like, you know, it'd be interesting to notice it. And, you know, there's also like a lot of discussions about Peter's faith in in um, in fandom just generally. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, maybe if we know what that church is, we can get even deeper in it. Um, but yeah, but that's a whole other conversation. Well, no, I mean, let's talk about it a little bit, though. Like, for someone who, like, I, I you're the you're the spider expert. Have we ever talked about Peter's faith? Like, do we know, like, he experiences a lot of, like, the, the Matt Murdock Catholic guilt for someone that I don't recall being Catholic. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because I, I feel like a lot of people... I don't know what I said I feel like because a lot of people do associate him with you know uh being Jewish and obviously there's a long history of Jewish creators that have worked on Spider-Man well especially um, especially Ultimate Spider-Man like he's got Bendis has Peter like Ultimate Peter speaking a lot of Yiddish yeah um so there's the Yiddish thing too and and some people just say well you know he's in New York and Queens like he could have just picked it up like mm -hmm. it's not uncommon for people to do that um, but then there's stories like this one and um, and there's a, there's a few other stories actually that do kind of firmly put May Parker on like Christian Catholic like uh, territory. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and uh you know dan slot and i reference him a lot he's just like my guidepost on a lot of things but he's talked about this uh, topic as well where um you know he's he views peter as kind of jewish coded but he acknowledges also that like the parkers are more like irish immigrants you know mm-hmm. uh kind of more catholic christian coded yeah uh, a little more waspy yeah <laughs> Yeah, to me, like, ultimately, like, for me, I feel like Peter is a man of science anyway, and I feel like he believes in God when it's convenient, like when he's about to die or something. (laughs) Like, um, in JMS, I think there's actually, you know, interesting that I'm bringing this up now while we're talking about the other, you know, uh, because JMS also has Peter reference God in in the first Moreland arc, where he's like, God, please, he's like, I don't want to go through that again. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and I feel like that felt, feels right to me, like for Peter to bring up God in like a life or death situation. But other than that, like he doesn't seem to be a practitioner of any faith. He 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 feels to me more like, and and also Peter has so many like self doubts and just doubts about the world that he does feel to me a little more like agnostic, like you know doesn't know, maybe isn't too interested. Um, but uh, but end of the day, I feel like, you know, Peter can be X, Y, or Z if you want him to be, if you relate to him more a certain way, uh, then go that way. I think Slot, that's also something Slot has said, like, if you want him to be Jewish, he's Jewish. Um, and who are we to tell other people, like, no, he can't be that. Like, mm-hmm. if you're Catholic, you can't relate to Peter. If you're Jewish, you can't relate to Peter, et cetera. Like, and, and, I, and I agree. I feel like, you know, to some extent, maybe it's better to leave it ambiguous. I don't know. But uh but yeah, so that's like the whole faith thing. But a lot of people feel very strongly that he should be Jewish and it should be cemented. And, you know, for those people, there's also um, Into the Spider-Verse, which makes Peter B. Parker pretty firmly Jewish. <laughs> and um, Andrew Garfield in interviews has also said uh, that he feels Peter should be Jewish too. So, you know, uh, maybe he should be Jewish. Maybe, I don't know. I have no I have no qualms about it either way. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not, I don't really like pick a side on this one, but I just know that to me, he feels a little more like doubtful about faith in general. Like I feel like for me, Peter is more like uh, questioning about that stuff, but, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting too, because this is, this is an era that sort of had unprecedented change for Peter. Obviously, you know, he died and talked to a weird spider ghost and came back different, but um there was always a mandate that like Peter was never going to be on a team, right? Like he tried to join the fantastic four that didn't work. Uh, he was like tangentially an Avenger, but like really like a reservist, like they kind of didn't want anything to do with him. And then, you know, new Avengers, they're like, what if we took our most popular characters and put them on the same team as opposed to just like who should be an Avenger. And then that kicked off like this entire century has had some wild Peter Parker stories. Like I know, I think it was in the nineties where he like became captain universe for like a hot second right like i think he was fighting the juggernaut and then got the powers of i don't know the story i'll be honest but like i know it's just like oh this is like wild shit for peter but like he went from being like your friendly neighborhood spider-man who had like relatable everyman stories to becoming a fucking avenger like working with norse gods and like that sort of catapulted um with with like the spider-verse stories it's just like oh like now this everyman is dealing with parallel realities and different versions of himself and spider gods and spider devils and like all this weird shit and like you were apologizing for referencing dan slot so much like please don't like they're on what issue 
908 or whatever of like Amazing Spider-Man, right? Like legacy numbering. Yeah, around there. Mm-hmm. And Dan Slott's written like over 150 of those issues. <laughs> like the dude like makes up a sizable chunk of like the Peter Parker canon. Uh, when his run ended, he had written 20% of all Spider-Man comics. Uh, okay, like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you're you're allowed to treat that dude as your guidepost. It's cool. I know a lot of people have issues with Dan Slott. I never finished the run. I kind of, like, fell out of comics for a bit. Well, I moved to Los Angeles, and I was broke as shit. And so I, I stopped reading books. Um, And so I've just been trying to catch up ever since. I, I do need to go back. But, like, we, we talked about this during the... The, the summary but like when dr strange is talking to him about like at the center of a web a cosmic web that you can't feel physically but that is very real nonetheless like that seems i might be like overreaching here but that seems like the genesis of spider-verse right like just talking about like this interconnected universe and i know we had like the j2 universe where peter and mj got old and had may mayday parker like their daughter and that was just kind of like a fun, like Earth 2-esque story for Marvel. But like, is this where the seeds were planted? Is is this how we, we got to Spider-Verse? Well, uh, I mean, this whole, the whole JMS era did lay a lot of the supernatural foundations that later became the Spider-Verse. I mean, the Totem stuff, the Moreland stuff, that's 100%. Um, like many of the key... Um, players and 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 uh, foundations of Spider-Verse for sure, yes. Uh, and I also took note when I read this issue and I saw Peter at the center of the cosmic web, I was like, oh, that's very much like the web of de- life and destiny, like that Madam Web stuff. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I read that and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a, that 100 percent feels like in line with what comes later for sure. Uh, I, I did take note of that, too. So, yeah, I think you're right on the money. 100 um, percent. Should I should I read Spider-Verse? Is it good? You should. I say it's good. Some people have problems with it, but I'm sorry. When I was a kid and I was keeping up with Spider-Verse, every issue, I was like, this is hilarious. It's 60 Spider-Man. Oh my God, this is so fun. <laughs> and, and on top of that, I was like, what's going to happen next? This is crazy. Uh, and I re- I recently revisited Spider-Verse um, just because of like the Across the Spider-Verse hype and everything. And I I still have fun with it, and and the art is the the art's amazing on Spider Verse. Like the the art is so good. You got Olivier Coipel on it. You got uh, Cameron Coley, who's like one of Slot's like longest collaborators. And the colors are so good. And the way that some of the spiders look like more realistic or more cartoony is fun. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of Umberto Ramos too, right? Ramos actually, there's not too much Ramos on Spider Verse. I'm trying actually. I don't think. Spider Ram- Island, Spider Island is Ram. Okay, okay. Uh-huh. And which that one is more. I feel like it's still very slot, but more closer in tone to this stuff because of the body horror and the giant spiders. Um, but Spider Verse is just um, more the the more out there, like the more high concept, um, but also very funny. I think it's a, a really funny um, arc, especially if you. If you know like the 60s cartoon and you were around for like all these other cartoons and advertisements that all get referenced and made fun of like you know i think you'll enjoy it if, if you're in all the references and everything carlos just added it to the list it's on the list cool but also definitely go back in spider island superior you know etc cetera, etc cetera. like i i was revisiting before the podcast and before i had a power outage at my house <laughs> I, I was revisiting um some of the worldwide stuff. I really love the worldwide era. 
um, because yesterday on the podcast, I was, I, I, you know, we were talking about the death wish thing and, and about like, why doesn't Peter put in a meter? And I, and I was like, I swear there's a, there's a, there's an issue somewhere where he references like, oh, my web shooters just told me I'm about to run out or something. And I, I tried to find where it was from. I thought it was worldwide, <laughs> but I couldn't find it. If someone else can find it, that'd be cool. Maybe I made it up because uh-huh. during during that era he had like voice activated web shooters and I, I could have sworn like some somewhere around there but like he was like oh i'm running out but oh well couldn't find it anyway enough slot back to the other <laughs> your dedication to shortbox summary is beautiful admirable and uh most of all appreciated thank you very much carlos <laughs> <laughs> you know i got gotta try my best <laughs> all right you ready to uh to finish off the other no, actually, because I just remembered. Uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, hit, hit me, man. Yeah, what's up? Peter wears a Giants jacket in this issue. Mm-hmm. And I don't know much about sports, but I know that Peter is a Mets fan. I don't know what's going on there, um, and I just felt like pointing it out. But it reminded me a lot of you know him wearing Mets jackets and in, in other issues. So yeah. So you say you don't know a lot about sports. Yeah. Okay, so you said he's wearing a Dodgers jacket? Uh, or a, Giants. a Giants. Okay, the Giants hate the Dodgers, right? Because there's two California teams. All right, so the Giants are in San Francisco and the Dodgers are in LA. Can I blow your mind for a second? Yeah, blow my mind. They hate each other also because they both used to be New York teams. Oh. So I assume he's a Mets fan, which is just fucking classically peter right like the team that just has like perpetually the fucking worst luck like i think they had, they won in 86 they beat the red Sox, so fuck the mets but um the dodgers and the giants both used to be in new york so i don't know if that's like an old school nod or whatever to like oh like uncle ben was probably like a dodgers or a, a, a giants fan whatever but also like isn't this like he's wearing clothes hmm because didn't they get rid of all the shit so like didn't he have to like go find clothes when he was coming out of the cocoon i'm not like trying to well actually i'm just trying to (laughs) to come up with like a reason because this feels like something that they would care about huh you know i don't remember where it says i'm trying to pull up the issue uh like where he got the jacket but i i do want to shout out that if you haven't read um Peter Parker, Spider-Man 33. Um, it's, it's this issue where Peter and Uncle Ben go to a baseball game. Um, and it's just one of the most touching, like, beautiful issues. It's by Jenkins. Uh, and I just wanted to double check to see if they do reference that it's... Yeah, it is. It, it, they do mention that it's a Mets game. Um, and that issue is so, so good. Um, and Ben has this quote in it about how life is a very long season and like you win and you lose and there's always the next game and blah 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 like you have to read that issue it's so good anyway anyway i, I will i will um sorry, i'm double checking something gonna edit this it's just weird that paul jenkins wrote that issue because mm-hmm. he's super british <laughs> and so i like that he uh got accustomed with uh you know, American pastime baseball. 
um, in the um, the book I was telling you about off camera, the comic creators on Spider-Man, um, there's an interview with Paul Jenkins where they're asking him like, you know, questions about which characters he relates to and whatnot. And and, and he actually, if I remember correctly, uh, he says that he relates uh, actually to Flash Thompson because he's a sporty guy or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe it comes from from that. Like maybe he has like a sports background. Uh, I'll have to double check the interview, but damn go pj yeah good for you go pj all right you ready to uh wrap this up actually no yeah, I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do you have anything no 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 oh, okay, okay. <laughs> all right uh the other part 12 this happened in amazing spider-man issue 528 it was written by jms drawn by mike Dado jr uh with inks by joe pimentel and I'm going to reiterate this again, uh, as I said before, say it now. Uh, I think the final act are, if not the best issues of the story, I think they're like the best executed issues of the story. You know what I mean? Like not the most important. I still really like that early issue where it was Peter talking to Tracer, or sorry, uh, Aunt May talking to Tracer and then Peter like coming home. I think that issue was just tense as shit. Like it was really interesting. Um, but I think all these issues... I don't know, it feels like a weight was lifted on the creative teams, and it felt like they were allowed to have more fun now that, like, the harrowing part was over. And you mentioned that, like, Nick Lowe said that, like, Spider-Man should be harrowing and upbeat, right? Like, yeah, he said that his goal with Spider-Man is to find the balance between harrowing and fun, and that that stuck with me. Uh, okay. I referenced that a lot. And I think these issues do a good job because the harrowing is existing independent of Peter, and not happening to Peter the way it was harrowing to Peter in the earlier issues. That might be what it is, but yeah, it feels like everyone just kind of breathed like a sigh of relief and had a little bit more fun with this last quarter of the story. Well, you know, with the whole rebirth resurrection and like the, the fresh start that is kind of talked about, um, I think that definitely makes it feel a little more upbeat for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Tony is still running tests and seems unsure that this is Peter. Peter's inability to remember what happened in the hospital with Moreland is the only thing that slightly convinces Tony this is the genuine Peter, saying a pretender would want as few gaps in their story as possible. Later, Peter decides to go on patrol but only has the one costume left that MJ has kind of sorted, knitted back together, but not really. Halfway through his night, he decides to stop in on Leo Zielinski, a tailor who services the superhuman community. After griping about Spidey coming in on a villain day, it's Tuesdays and Thursdays, heroes get Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, they both hear a loud boom. A nearby building has collapsed, and a shirtless Peter jumps into action to do what he can to help. Peter uses his powers in new and creative ways. He's able to focus and see in the dark. He traces the vibrations on his webs to detect movement in the rubble. He sticks someone to his back so that both hands are free and finds his way out of the rubble following the wind faintly blowing on his arm hairs. The man has embraced the spider. Back home at Avengers Tower, Peter confides that he was worried his powers would turn him into a monster, but it was actually the best thing that ever happened to him. The two have a really deep heart-to-heart -heart that Tony Stark is eavesdropping on. Convinced this is the authentic Peter, he goes back to work on an iron spider suit for Peter, making its debut next month. Ooh. All right, so I got I got some things that grind my gears. Go for it. Go for it. I don't want to be negative. Like, again, there's so much negativity out on the internet. Uh, fuck it. It sucks. 
don't don't do that be better um were you frustrated at the end of this like you mentioned it earlier but were you frustrated at the end of this that there was no resolution with the other in the story Hmm. revisiting it i was kind of like um oh that's interesting it kind of doesn't like have a resolution yeah yeah, i was like huh but maybe well maybe the thing is like i was reconsidering my thought because i wonder if like and maybe i'm giving it too much credit uh but i'm thinking like maybe the story isn't about that maybe it's about like you know the fresh start and you know there's also this like running theme of like god and faith and and blah 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 and maybe maybe it's trying to say something that i'm just not getting um but otherwise i was kind of like it doesn't feel like it ends like it feels like it's it's more of like it's setting up something else um but but yeah i don't know it does definitely set up civil war very very well um and other things to come oh for sure that was one thing i forgot to mention in our previous episode was like when peter was first getting tested on when he was like you know approach like reed and, and tony about dying like it was all like the the fucking i can't say that because that's a marvel term but it was like the the leaders of like the civil war movement right like it was like tony and and hank pym and and reed richards and it was like weird that goliath was there for reasons that we'll talk about when we cover Civil War issues three or four. I can't remember which one. Not great for for our guy Bill. Um, Bill Foster. Lawrence Fishburne in the, the Ant-Man movie. Ant-Man oh, yeah. the Wasp. Good, good shit. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, like I didn't even realize like, oh, these are seeds being planted for Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of why also in the yesterday's uh, conversation I, I brought up the uh, whole way that civil war and one more day and black and black black and black black, black, <laughs> and black. <laughs> how that like little trilogy is all connected and and uh, and it did definitely make me think and then your your point about you know when we were talking yesterday like maybe the other was a fake out like it's like here's your fresh start just kidding we're gonna sweep you know uh, well that like that like they wanted to commit to something but then backed out at the last second because like i I, again i don't mean to shit on the story i like it so much more now than Mm -hmm. i did as it was coming out and i think part of the reason was like it was coming out really quickly back then Mm -hmm. but you still have to wait a week between each issue but like just being able to like you know knock these down like dominoes like just roll into it i think the expediency really helps these issues it's really fucking annoying in marvel limited having to like bounce back and forth between all the different series but like besides that it was great um i like this a lot more now but i'm like i had no idea i didn't keep reading these books you know like i wasn't correct like marvel knight spider-man ended i think after this issue and then i didn't stick with friendly neighborhood spider-man like i was 15 you know like i I was like oh i'll read this while a story is going on but like i i didn't stick around to find out so the fact that it didn't feel like a like a bow was really wrapped on it at the end of the story i found that kind of frustrating but uh you mentioned it earlier do you want to mention it again like the where we see this this character again that he fought in the last issue the 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 other oh the the female version of the gatekeeper arrow uh yeah i think she shows up in later issues of friendly neighborhood um okay she like takes on like a, a fake like civilian identity and uh also goes to peter's school if i'm i think and uh, i think other stuff happens but 
a little foggy on me. This, this, the, the stuff past the other for me as well is like a gap in my collection. Like, uh, cause I have a lot of floppies mm -hmm. and I have like a floppy. That's a cover of, uh, you know, Peter and the iron spider getting trapped. And it's like a Mysterio story. I think it, I think it was friendly neighborhood. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of where we see more of her. Um, and I think really that's kind of the peak of her character, like in that, like, as in like the most that we see of her is later on in Friendly Neighborhood, because when I mentioned that she shows up in Scarlet Spider, I mean, like in a panel or, or two, you know, like uh, not like uh, she's not like a huge character. Not, not, not featured. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I'm remembering wrong. I I think yeah, like she shows up later in Friendly Neighborhood as Car Car Carlos. I know you're not. I know you're not remembering wrong. You're. I mean this with all the the love and respect. I can't. You're a little spider freak. It's fine. I know you're not remembering it wrong. It's okay. Everybody, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has. Little, you're you're my, you're my little spiderpedia. I, I I know you're remembering it right. I should I should get out my Marvel encyclopedia as my Spider-Man one. <laughs> just just the triple check it. <laughs> uh, sorry, that was how that was how I feel. How did you feel about this? Uh, final issue um this final issue is actually another one uh even though it doesn't really touch on like the gatekeeper stuff and you know it does leave some stuff uh for the future um this is actually one that is very memorable for me um and i i, I would say it's like up there with the vision quest as like another like super memorable issue um the the vision quest the eye uh, and um, the first issue, I think, are all very memorable along with this one because this one has that scene where he's saving the little girl from the mm -hmm. building collapsed. And that sequence I remember very clearly because of like the exhibition of his new powers that he got at this point. Um, and I always liked, because um, they, they, they show that he's got a few new ones, uh, but the one that stuck out to me stuck uh was his ability to stick to every part of his body mm -hmm. uh, and that was actually a power that they kept um like post um one more day and everything um they actually kept that peter has that power now um even though i think they also retconned that peter like never accepted the other but somehow he still has like this power anyway whatever and they actually <laughs> comics man <laughs> comics yeah but but uh but yeah the the sticky back thing stuck with me the first time i read it and and in future books past you know brand new day he later uses um that power to stick his mask to his face um because there's some situations where like people try to pull his mask off and he's like nope and they're like how are you doing that he's like i can stick my face to my mask and they're like oh that's kind of gross <laughs> um, a little, that's a little gross yeah <laughs> um so so that sticks out to me i i do like that power and i think that's convenient and useful um and uh you know we we, we see leo the taylor who i like he's one of my favorite characters to come out of the jms run um what else is there I'm trying to see trying to squeeze out the story i never mentioned it but um i think now that we're kind of done with the arc um I'll mention that before the other, uh, like a year before, there was a Paul Jenkins story. Uh, oh, I should have written down the issue number. Um, I think it's somewhere in my notes, but whatever. I think it's like 20. No, I think it's 19 and 20 of 
Spectacular Spider-Man by Jenkins. Uh, there's an arc where uh, Spider-Man faces the Spider Queen, and he ends up transforming into a spider, and oh. then he, and then he is reborn out of that spider, and he sheds the spider body, and he gets organic webs. I think that's where he got the organic webs, and um, and I was gonna bring that up at some point and i think now's a good time because i was like hey the other is kind of similar to this story where he also kind of goes full spider and then comes out of it reborn with new powers kind of interesting yeah it's kind of kind of stepping on the toes of a story that happened earlier or that story was really stepping on the toes of something that was like you know a big editorial retreat because it took a lot of organizing to tell a story across 12 issues from three different series fuck i I'll be honest, I, I don't actually like Paul Jenkins that much. So like I, I've had time to go back and read. I was not buying that book when it was coming out uh, just because I wanted to like jump into like, you know, main title, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I didn't know that. That's like really frustrating to hear that like su- such like a similar story. Like it sounds, you know, when like a foreign movie comes out and then America like remakes it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, bro, like we just had like a pretty good version, like the Swedish version of Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Pretty fucking good. I love David Fincher. I don't, I don't know if we needed this movie, you know? You know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry to. <laughs> no, no, it's cool. Like now I want to go check it out after like digging the other so much. Um, But yeah, I want to bring that one up because um, not only because it's similar, uh, but also because Spider Island also references that one. Uh, mm. So kind of both stories feel like stepping stones to Spider Island for me. Um now in hindsight and um and also yeah man you gotta you gotta revisit some jenkins because jenkins has some really good issues okay i i will write you a little a little list of my faves maybe yeah please (laughs) please do i'll I'll share it from the uh the twitter account for for shorebox uh so you've read this story before you've read the other before Mm -hmm. do you remember what grade you would have given it the first time well you know i think both times I wouldn't be good at giving grades. I'm really, I'm a bad critic. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm good at like story analysis, but I'm really bad with letter grades and, and numbers. Okay. But, no pressure, no pressure, sorry. But I think younger me, when I first read this, would have said, ah, scary, what is the... There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think older me now appreciates there's there is also kind of like a hopeful light side of it with like mm-hmm. you know, spending his last few days with MJ and Aunt May and and trying to make the most of it by going back in time and taking her to space and um there there is that kind of fun side in those issues and 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 at the end there is that kind of fresh start vibe which is something cool as well um so I think um older me appreciates um the additions to the lore more the lighter stuff more um and can you know kind of dig it more into so much more i mean who knew that we could have had two episodes (laughs) conversations about all of these issues so you know uh i I definitely appreciate it a lot more now than Mm -hmm. when i was mostly just traumatized by it (laughs) <laughs> i i agree it's weird i mentioned on the last episode just about like how much the message boards absolutely fucking hated the other like especially that episode or sorry the issue where mary jane and aunt may were like in an old iron man mark one and two armors uh dude like i thought that was like a meltdown you know like i was like no coming back from this because i was 
fucking 15 didn't know any better um yeah i like the story a lot more now than i did back then and like i remember liking the story then but now i'm like oh this is like fun and, and weird and out there i stand by my critique that like the first three acts felt a little contrived editorially and then i think i figured it out like i got really into that last marvel knights issue uh, marvel knights 22 like the penultimate chapter and i think like i, I was kind of dogging pat lee earlier but like i actually think it was the coloring that was kind of the issue and like reading this issue i'm like oh it's like bright and like poppy and like looks fun and then they go indoors and it looks kind of like drab but not as dour as it did in previous issues and like i think like oh that was a choice like they knew it was like a dark story so like everything looks like really muted and kind of flat and not not quite like watercolors but kind of like like wet if that makes sense like it looked like it was like a completed page that was then like soaked in the rain and so I don't know if there was like weird direction editorially to like, hey, this is like about to be kind of a fucking dark time for Peter. So if you could reflect that in the art, that'd be great. But I think everyone came out swinging it like this. The series like finished really strong, I feel. Um, and so I, you know, I've got a great taste in my mouth at the end of the series. And I, I, I give it probably like a like a B now. Oh, sweet. B plus maybe like I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's like critical to the path of of understanding Peter Parker in this era necessarily because this feels kind of like the the end point of what jms wanted to accomplish right because like he got kind of weird and, and mystic and cosmic a little bit in in his run but like after this like i'm i'm sorry for spoilers but like we jump from this straight into road to civil war which i think is a two or three part story i can't remember where it's like peter and tony going to uh, washington dc and and shit happens and then the battle lines are kind of drawn for Civil War. And then immediately after that, we go straight into like the tie-in for Civil War. And then I think that was like seven or eight issues because Civil War was delayed because there's some health issues for uh, the creators. And then after that, it jumps into Back in Black, which is like the fallout of Civil War. And then after that, we're into one more day. And then there's like a complete fucking ground up, like bottoms up reboot of, of the entire Peter Parker universe right so i feel like there's a lot of threads left dangling that i remember as a kid being confused like huh whatever happened to so-and-so but I, again i wasn't reading like the other books so I, I missed some of those stories and then it seems like peter was just kind of wrapped up in editorial hell for the next year year and a half right like it was just like oh i have to like fit peter into other people's stories yeah um more or less yeah, I think you got it because, yeah, after this, we go into Civil War, Back in Black, One More Day, and Back in Black and One More Day are both kind of like Civil War repercussions. Yeah, same story. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I guess in a way, this is kind of like the 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 final little like JMS mystical story, unless you count like One More Day as a mystical story, but I don't think JMS even considers that his story. I, I think, yeah, I think he wants his name off of that. Um, which did I gotta be honest, I actually kind of like one more day. Well, I mean, we could talk more about it. <laughs> we're we're uh, we're coming up. I'm gonna start like I'm I'm back on a weekly schedule. Hmm. So story's gonna be coming regularly. I still gotta cover House of M and then do a few mutant books, but then we're right into Civil War and the ball ball's rolling after that. Mm -hmm. Um 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I almost brought up one more day again. I, I did bring up one more day uh, uh, yesterday's combo. Um, and actually, I think I did bring it up earlier when we were talking about the fresh start stuff. Um, and right now I thought of it again because uh, you were talking about the coloring and how maybe it was purposefully bleaker in some issues than in others. And I think Joe Quesada made a point in one more day uh, to have his art get really dark and very shadowy and realistic in like the first section of one more day. And then when, when it switches to like the rebooted status to the fresh start status, uh, his art style like, completely changes for it. And it's like much brighter and colorful and, and lighter. And, and, and if that was a, a very conscious choice, I, it does make me wonder if a, a lot of the art choices, um, in this whole latter half of, of, of the Straczynski run, um, I wonder if a lot of those darker, more realistic art styles with Diodato and whatnot, I wonder if that was also kind of, again, tied into that decision to to go really dark for like these last few sections of Amazing Spider-Man before Brand New Day um, to lead up to the more upbeat rejuvenation of the character, you know. Um, uh, and it's interesting to think about, you know, it's, it, there's definitely a lot to consider at this time in the character's history um and i think that's what makes it so interesting to talk about you know and we will talk about it when we get there carlos you've been awesome thank you again so much with your patience thank you so much for you know helping me out with my shitty schedule this week sorry the past couple weeks because this is that's how podcasts work definitely weren't doing these back to back um thank you so much thank you for coming on thank you for talking about the other again i'm sorry i didn't pick like a more uh exciting like quintessential peter parker story for you to jump into but i'm glad we had the expert to walk through i'm going to call it like a, a formerly controversial point in the character's life that now i think is more entertaining than it is uh distracting if if that makes sense i think you know all good controversies should die down eventually right i mean yeah. hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully hopefully there's no one out there that's still mad about oh my god dude if you are i got bad news for you buck like there is bigger fish to fry than the other (laughs) uh carlos where can people find you on twitter uh right i'm on twitter as carlos loves spider-man formerly carlos loves peter parker um (laughs) um uh, my at is at carlos underscore e-s-c-o-n-d-e um and uh and yeah you know hit me up uh if you want to talk spider-man uh talk you know we're, me and shortbox are in spaces a lot of times too with yeah. a lot of our other friends that read multiple comics not just spider-man um yeah you, you don't just read spider-man you're reading a lot of x-men you're hanging on krakoa right now with the best of them right I'm trying to I'm trying to stay on on the train. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of X-Men books. So many, so many fucking books, man. It's like it's like the second 90s. There's so many X-Books. Um, and also, if you you know are interested in more supernatural, spidey, big time stuff, uh, there's currently the end of the Spider-Verse storyline that um, you know, involves Shathra and Moreland and other creations of this era. And I think um who knows maybe the other will play a role too uh Ooh. the other definitely but the other definitely played a role in the first spider-verse so i mean you know um yeah shout out to shout out to that um yeah thank you for having me thank you for being back carlos we will have you back soon i'm not gonna say shortly because 
I got so many fucking X-Men books to talk about. I'm like really looking forward to it, but also I'm like, hey, Jesus, it's too many. It's too many X books. What can you do? <laughs> uh, but as soon as we get back into uh, friendly neighborhood territory, we'll we'll have you back. Um, thank you so much again. And uh, thank you for listening to Shortbox Summer. If you found this podcast, that's super cool. It's a big internet. Thank you for finding my little corner of it. Please share with people who you think will like this. We ha- like to have uh, practical real conversations about nerdy shit that we love and we do so on a weekly basis and so we'll be back in your ears next week until then have a good one